Well, good morning. It is so good seeing all of you guys. Welcome to Forest Park. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's go ahead and uh, turn them to 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, starting with verse 35. And so let me pray for us um, as before we look to, to God's Word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much for today. Thank you for your mercy, for your grace, for your faithfulness. Lord, thank you that every promise that you have given us is as good as done because you are faithful, you are unchangeable, um, you're all-powerful. And Lord, as we come to you and we open up your word, um, Lord, can you help us to understand? Um, Lord, I know that we have people from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life, young and old, we have kids. Um, Lord, can you even take this message and just minister to our hearts of our children? Help them to pay attention, Lord. Help them uh, to take their notes and learn just one little nugget. Uh, and Lord, I pray that, that our hearts will be encouraged, that we would be pointed to you. And for those who do not believe in you, for those who have not trusted you, Lord, can you help them to see their desperate need for you? Can you convict us of our sins? And help us to look to you as the only Savior, the only mediator, the only one that is fully God and fully man, the only one that gives us a guaranteed of a resurrected life. So come, Lord, and speak to us. Holy Spirit, fill us and illuminate truth to us. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. So uh, we're almost done with 1 Corinthians. We have about three weeks, including this week, left, and we're just seeking the Lord to see what we're going to do next. Um, but in our text today, um, Paul's continuing to address that the, one of the issues that the church of Corinth was struggling with uh, was the idea that there were some people in the church um, denied that God would resurrect the bodies of dead believers. Um, they believed that God resurrected Christ but they did not think that there's any need for God to resurrect all of those who have died. And so what Paul has done and what he did last week, um, Paul kind of showed them through his arguments by reminding them, you guys know that to deny the resurrection of dead believers is to deny the resurrection of Christ. You cannot have the resurrection of Christ and not the resurrection of dead believers. And then he just kind of went on this little, little rabbit trail. Like if you're denying the resurrection of believers, then that means Christ has not been raised from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, here are these awful consequences like your faith is empty and worthless I'm proclaiming a lie and I'm just wasting my time and then on top of that that means you are still dead in your sins there's no salvation there is no hope if Christ has not been raised from the dead however because we know that Christ has been resurrected that does guarantee for all of us if we belong to Christ God will certainly resurrect us up as well. Now, in our text today, Paul is going to address a question that maybe some of these resurrected deniers possibly had. The question is, how are the dead raised? What kind of bodies are they going to have? What is all this going to, to look like? And what Paul is going to do is he's going to explain to them that God is going to give us resurrected bodies. 
God doesn't just simply give life to earthly bodies at the resurrection, but what he does is he transforms our bodies from earthly bodies to heavenly bodies. And what we're going to see is we're going to see continuity between the earthly body and the heavenly body. In other words, there's some things of your earthly body that's going to look similar than your heavenly body, but then there's also going to be discontinuity. In other words, there's going to be a contrast between your earthly body and your heavenly body. So what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna look at the question that these deniers had, and we're gonna see how Paul responds and the reason he uses to show us that God gives more than just life to our earthly body, but he resurrects it and transforms it into a heavenly body. Everybody understand? Uh, Let's get into our text and read the first uh, two verses. Verse 35 says this. But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? You fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you're not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another of grain. So let's stop here. So what Paul is doing, he's directly addressing, I'm going to call them scoffers, uh, those who deny the resurrection of the body of believers. And, and so here's the question they have. And I think this is why they're scoffing at the idea of God resurrecting the dead and God resurrecting believers because they think the whole idea is just, is just not very smart. Okay? Here's the two questions they have. First of all, how are the dead raised? Like, what is that going to look like? Second of all, what kind of bodies are they going to have? In these two questions, and I could be wrong, but as I'm trying to figure out why would they ask these questions, in their mind, more than likely, as they are bringing this question up to Paul, more than likely, they're mocking the idea of the resurrection. Because in their mind, if the resurrection is true, does God just give life to dead bodies? Like, but what happened to some of the bodies that are almost fully decayed? In other words, there's only dust left. They've been dead for so long, longer than some even mummies. Like, how is God going to just give them life? And what happens to some of those bodies that kind of got dismembered or, or mangled up? Like, because of a tragic accident, like, like does that mean like God is just going to give life to our dead bodies? And I know kids in your notes, like, what are some words you've heard? You can hear me say this. Or is God going to just raise us up like a bunch of zombies that are half live and half dead and our arms are kind of just twitching here and half your face is gone because you've been dead for so long. And that's why I think they're kind of mocking this whole idea of the resurrection because they're thinking there's no way that God is going to give life to dead people because what's going to happen to those bodies? And look at how Paul responds. Look at what Paul calls them. He says, you... You fool. In other words, he's saying you are a foolish person. Now, now this response is very um, similar to when Jesus responded. If you go to Matthew 22, and you don't have to turn there. I'll quickly tell the story in Jesus' response. Um, but the Sadducees confronted Jesus, and they tried to trick Jesus. In other words, they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. So what they did is they came to Jesus and they tried to create this ridiculous scenario. Okay? 
And the reason why they wanted to make the scenario so ridiculous was to show Jesus that the whole concept of the resurrection is just foolish. And basically they're saying, okay, Jesus, if a, woman, uh, if a woman's husband dies and then she marries seven other people because apparently not only does she have to have one husband, but all seven eventually died. Again, what they're trying to do is make it so ridiculous that this whole concept of the resurrection is foolish. Like if seven of her husbands die, Apparently she survives all of them. Then what happens at the resurrection? In other words, the idea of resurrection is so foolish. Who's going to be her husband in the resurrection? And Jesus just in a one way says, he says in Matthew 22 verse 29, he says, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is that is basically Paul's response He says, you foolish person, you are wrong. Two things you don't understand. You don't know the the Bible, and you do not know the power of God. So now Paul has to answer the question. Well, Paul, what kind of bodies are we going to have? What's the resurrected body going to look like? How is God going to do this? And what Paul does in their foolish thinking, um, he uses an analogy of a seed And basically, he's showing that throughout nature, we see God's transforming power. And I think everybody can understand this, okay? When you take a seed and you put it in the ground, what comes out of the ground? A seed? No. The seed dies and it turns into a a plant or a tree. And this is the point that Paul is trying to make. He's trying to illustrate that throughout nature, we see God's resurrecting, transforming power. When you plant an apple tree, you plant an apple seed. And that seed is being transformed into a tree and not vice versa. And so throughout nature, if God can take seeds and and make them die and raise them and transform them into produce plants... The point that Paul's trying to make is, if that is possible and God does it throughout nature, isn't it reasonable for us to assume that God can take our bodies that die and transform something completely different? And the answer is yes. And so if you're taking notes, here's here's the very first point that Paul is making. And I've just repeated it. is this. If God's transforming or transformation power is common in nature, and when we say this, in other words, he takes a seed and he turns it to a tree. If that is common in nature, then certainly and with reason, then God can take our dead bodies and transform it. God can take our dead bodies and transform it. And just like an apple tree does not start off as an apple tree, but rather as a seed, So just like our bodies doesn't start off with a heavenly body, but rather starts into an earthly body. The earthly body dies, and then it's being transformed into a heavenly body. And that's the point that Paul is making. Now, Paul continues, and he gives another analogy. Look at at verse 38. He says this, But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There's one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from the earthly ones. 
There is splendor of the sun, another of the moon, another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. So let, let, let's stop here. You're like, what in the world is he just saying? I think it's very simple. God, uh, Paul's using another analogy. The first one was with a seed. How do you get an apple tree? You plant a, a seed. The seed dies. God transforms it. An apple tree comes. The second analogy that Paul uses is that of bodies or that of flesh. He says human flesh. God gives human flesh. God gives animal flesh. God gives bird flesh. God gives fish flesh. In other words, what he is saying is God creates and gives different bodies to different creatures to survive in different environments. So, for example, kids, you guys can answer. I think it's a real simple question. Can humans live underwater? Why not? Because you can't breathe. Yeah, you will die, okay? In other words, simple, right? That's what Paul is basically saying. God has given us humans a specific flesh to live in a specific environment, which means we cannot live underwater because we cannot breathe. Now, some of you smart Alex are going to say, well, what if we build submarines and stuff like that? Okay, I'll give that to you, but you still cannot live underwater with no submarine, okay? And over time... When you're in water for so long, what happens to your skin? It becomes all wrinkly, pruny, yes. Your, your flesh was not designed to live in water permanently. Just like fish. Can fish live on land? No. What happens to the fish? They die because they can't breathe. And then some of you smart Alex will say, well, what about snakeheads? Snakeheads might be able to transform from one body of water to another, which is kind of weird. They can walk on land for a little bit but not for a long period of time. And here's the point that Paul is making. If you're taking notes, that God has designed different bodies to flourish in different environments. Like that is how God has designed us. And if that is true, then it's reasonable to assume that God has designed the resurrected body to flourish in its new environment, the eternal kingdom of God. Like, that is the point that he is making. Like, he's just trying to show us, like, to, to assume the resurrection is not a crazy idea. It's a reasonable idea. Look at creation. Look at what he does with the seed, and he turns it into a tree. Look at all the different bodies he gives. Like, why is our flesh kind of reddish-brown, and a fish's flesh is white? Why do they have gills and we have lungs? Because God the creator gives different bodies to live in different environments, which means he can transform our body that lives here on earth into a body that lives in eternity with him. Then Paul also says, there are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. They all differ in splendor. There's the sun, there's the moon, there's the stars. And all of them have different glories, different splendors. Like no star is exactly the same. No star has the exact same radiance that put out the exact same amount of light. And what's the point that Paul is making? He is saying, if you're taking notes, that if God can create different bodies and create them with different splendor and different magnificence, in other words, different radiance, they put out a different amount of light then clearly God 
can raise the dead bodies of believers. So the whole point that Paul is trying to make is, look around you. Look at creation. Look how big and look how powerful God is. Just by looking at creation then, for God to raise the dead body of believers for eternity is not a big deal because His transformative power is shown throughout creation. Everybody understands that? Now here's the big question. And this is more for the adults because of what you struggle with. I won't tell the kids what you struggle with. What is our bodies going to look like at the resurrection? Paul tells us. And what he is going to show us, he's going to contrast between earthly bodies and heavenly bodies. Now, this is not in your notes because there was not enough room. So if you want to, you can write some of it down. But let's read the text and let's see how Paul describes the contrast, the difference between earthly bodies and heavenly bodies. Okay, verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Okay, so what is Paul doing? Paul's describing to us what the heavenly body is going to look like, but co- by contrasting the earthly body with the heavenly body. And he, and he uses it, and he, he does four contrasts. Here's the first qu- contrast. Let me show you in the text. Okay, verse 42 says, says this. They are, uh, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. So the earthly body is sown in corruption, The heavenly body is raised in incorruption. Okay? In other words, an easy word to use is, because you're like, what's corruption and corruption? An easier word to use is, the earthly body is perishable. The heavenly body is imperishable. You're like, what does perishable mean? It means it decays, it rots, it dies. It can only last for so long. It's like the milk. Once it expires, what happens to the milk? The milk becomes sour. You throw it out. You can't use it anymore. That's the same with the earthly body. It is perishable. The heavenly body is imperishable. In other words, the earthly body does not last forever. We get old. Eventually, all of us are going to face death in one way or another. But the heavenly body is going to last forever, is never going to face death. Look at the second contrast. Verse 43, the earthly body is sown in dishonor. The heavenly body is raised in glory. I think another easier word to use is the earthly body is lowly. The heavenly body is gloriously attractive. Earthly body is lowly. The heavenly body is gloriously attractive. You're like, ooh, does that mean I'm going to get the body that I've always wanted? Am I going to be the size zero? Am I, guys, am I going to have my belly transformed into 12 pack of abs? No. Well, I could be wrong. But here's what, what Paul means by lowly and glorious. Okay? 
Think about in the Garden of Eden. This is why I say this. Think about the Garden of Eden. Before sin entered into the world, before Adam and Eve rebelled against God, Adam and Eve, did they have any clothes on? No. They were naked and unashamed. They looked in the mirror and they said, wow, look at this wonderful work that God has done. And then the second they rebelled against God, what was the very first thing they noticed? Uh Uh-oh, we're naked. So they ran from God, they hid. And they took leaves to try to cover themselves up because they were covered in shame. And this is the reason why we wear clothes because it is a lowly body, not because God made a mistake, But because when we look at our bodies, what do we see? We see flaws, imperfections, longing to have a different color hair, longing to have different eyes, different body shapes. And we look at ourselves and we say, who can love this? And yet, the heavenly body will be like almost the body that Adam and Eve have, very similar body, but you would look at it and you would say, And you will look the same and you would say, man, what a beautiful design. And it wouldn't be like, oh, look how good I look. It will be like, oh, look how good I look because God has created me so beautiful. And this is one of the lies that all of us believe. And some of you kids are really struggling with this because somebody makes fun of you. And yet when God created you and he formed you in your mother's womb, did he not make perfection? Did he not say this is a very good design? But what has happened because of sin, it has really distorted the way we look at the human body. And this is why we all covet and long to have a certain kind of body. And yet in the heavenly body, you're probably going to look the same. But you're going to see your body as gloriously attractive because God has created it. And that is what he means. Here's the, the, the second, uh, the third contrast. Uh, look, look at verse 43. It is sown in weakness, raised in power. In other words, the earthly body is weak. The heavenly body is strong. Think about the earthly body. The earthly body is weak. Why? Because you, you get sick. And what happens when you get sick? You go to bed and you lay, you recover. If you're older, you get injuries, you throw your back out, or you start to get arthritis in your shoulders and your hands and your knees and your neck and everywhere. Like your body is decaying. The things that you used to do and you used to be able to pick up with not thinking about it, now you have to do 20 minutes of stretches and then you decide it's not worth my time because I'm going to throw my back out. The earthly body is weak. And some of you kids, you're thinking, well, I am super strong. Yes, you're getting stronger and stronger the older you get. But let me tell you, everybody peaks. And once you peak, it is down here from there on. You're not going to get stronger. I don't care how many vitamins or supplements and weights you lift. Your body will all decay eventually. But the heavenly body, no. The heavenly body is strong. In other words, the heavenly body will never suffer from illness or injuries, fatigue or death. I don't even think the heavenly body will be able to sleep. Why? Because you'll you'll never get tired. You don't have to rest and to recover. How awesome would it be if you can do your yard work 
with a body that does not fatigue. Or you can clean the house with a body that does not fatigue. That is the heavenly body that's waiting for us. The last uh, contrast, and this one, we might need to unpack this a little bit. Look at verse 44. The heavenly body is sown a natural body. The earthly body is raised a spiritual body. And then he says, if there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Now, here's where we need to maybe correct our thinking. We always, in our minds, we, 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 we draw a contrast between physical and spiritual. So when we think about spiritual, do we think about physical or non-physical? We think about like non-physical. So when Paul uses this, this word spiritual, our minds automatically think we're just kind of be ghosts, just kind of like just drifting around. But that's not what he means when he uses the word spiritual to describe the heavenly body. So when Paul uses the word spiritual to describe the heavenly body, he's not meaning a non-physical body, but rather he is meaning a supernatural spirit-empowered body. So our heavenly body is going to be a supernatural, spirit-empowered, physical body. Now, I could be wrong, but in the Old Testament, there's examples of people doing supernatural things because they're supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's this guy in the Old Testament. I'm going to give you clues, and I want the kids to guess who, uh, who the name is, okay? He has very long hair, and he is very strong. And he took a lion, and he just tore it apart. Anybody could guess who his name was? No? Samson. Very good. Yes. Okay, so the Bible tells us, even though Samson didn't cut his hair and everybody thinks, oh, his strength is in his hair, so that's why we must have long hair to be really strong. No, the hair was just kind of a, uh, kind of a symbolism of him being set apart as a Nazarite, but really what made him really, really strong was the Holy Spirit, and I'll show you why. In Judges 14, verse 5 to 6, it says this, suddenly a young lion came roaring at him. Now, when he says a young lion, he's not saying a cute little cub. Okay, he's talking about a male lion that's not afraid of anything. Old lions, they're afraid of everything because they too are decaying. But a young lion, he's ready to tackle the world. And he sees Samson, and what does he think? Oh, that's an easy, easy lunch, easy breakfast, easy dinner, whatever time it was. And I don't know if you've ever seen a lion, but a male lion is up to here. They're, they're big. They're paws. This big. Your chances of surviving a lion attacking you without a gun or any weapon is zero. So all of a sudden, the Bible says a young lion comes roaring at him. It's not like a young lion is just walking. He roars, which means he's on the attack. He's full speed going at Samson. And then the Bible says the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him. In other words, the spirit of the Lord supernaturally charged him. And he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. In other words, he was so supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit that the way he treated that massive of a lion that was roaring at him, tearing it apart with his bare hands, is like taking a little, little young goat that was just born and just tearing it apart. 
But here's the difference. So it gives us kind of a glimpse of a supernatural, spirit-empowered body. For Samson, that was not permanent. It comes and goes. We even read about David. We even read about the, the men that surrounded David, men that have this, were spirit-empowered, that these, did these supernatural things that's recorded to us in the Bible. And I think what they are is they're little shadows, they're little hints of what is to come. Your heavenly body is going to be supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit, and it's going to be characterized by that, which means it's going to be permanent, so does that mean you'll be able to pick up a car? I don't know, maybe. I don't know what that strength looks like. Will it have wisdom beyond your mind? Couldn't ever imagine anything that is supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit. I don't think our minds can fully fathom. But this is what our heavenly bodies is going to look like. It's going to be physical, but it's going to be supernaturally empowered. It's going to be characterized by that. It's going to be permanent. That will be your heavenly body. So Paul has shown us that as the resurrection, we're going to receive a heavenly body. And it's reasonable to, to assume that. Why? Because look at creation. Look at God's transforming power. Look at his great design in giving different bodies, different bodies to live in different environments. Look at how this heavenly body, this supernaturally spirit-empowered body is going to look like. How do we know it's going to happen? Paul now is going to show us why we have a certainty in the resurrection of the dead. Look, look at verse 45, and then, and then we're done. And we'll do some application. 45 is this. So it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we've borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. So if you notice the text, he's talking about two men. Man from the earth made of dust, and the man from heaven that is a life-giving spirit. Who, who, who's the first one? Adam, and the second one is? Jesus. Very good. Adam is our representative. In other words, he represents us. His sin and his punishment becomes ours now. Christ is also our representative. In other words, he represents us as the new humanity, the new creation. His victory, our victory. His bodily resurrection will be our bodily resurrection. And what, what, what Paul is doing, he's comparing and contrasting uh, Adam and Christ. Adam is merely a living being. Jesus Christ is a life-giving spirit. Since Adam was living with the natural body or earthly body, which is basically all bodies, is prototype of what our body will look like and it will be passed on from generation to generation, Jesus is a life-giving spirit. It doesn't mean he's a ghost, but rather he is supernaturally filled with the Holy Spirit. It is a prototype, in other words, a lookalike of what our heavenly bodies will look like because we belong to Christ. The natural body comes from the earth. The spiritual body or the heavenly body comes from heaven. The earthly body is first. 
The heavenly body is second. One is from the dust, the other one's from heaven. And how do we know we will receive our resurrected bodies? Look at verse 49, and then we'll do application. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, in other words, just like we look like Adam, so we also will bear the image of the man of heaven. In other words, just just like we're, we're from Adam, we kind of look like Adam. We bear his image. Those who are in Christ will also bear the image of Christ, which means if Christ was raised from the dead, you have a certainty. It is a guarantee that you will one day be raised from the dead and receive your heavenly body. So let's do application here. You guys have done, done such a great job, kids. Paul is showing us that God's going to resurrect the dead body of believers. We know it's reasonable. We know it's certain. So what does it mean for us? The first thing, if you're taking notes, is this. In our earthly body, we can look forward to our heavenly body. In our earthly body, we can look forward to our, our heavenly body. Maybe this is more for your parents. But every time we get sick, every time we feel tired, Every time we have a doctor's appointment to try to figure out what is wrong with us. Every time we have somebody we really love and they die because they have cancer. We are continually reminded that our earthly body is deteriorating. We're continually reminded that this body that we have is falling apart. And what it does is it makes us look forward. It makes us long for the new body that is awaiting for us, the heavenly body. Like I want you to think about this. The next time you're sick and laying in bed, you need to say this. I know my body is falling apart, but one day Jesus is going to give me a new body. Like that is what should encourage us. I know Pappy is no longer with us. But I know that one day Pappy in me, because of Jesus, is going to get a new body. A body that's never going to get sick. A body that's never going to get tired. A body that's going to live forever. A body that is going to be supercharged by the Holy Spirit. And that should encourage us. That should encourage us when we deal with family members that are sick. That should encourage us when we mourn for family members that have passed on. Like as sad as it is, we can be sad and we should be sad because it's a reminder that death is not natural and this is not permanent. But what is coming is natural, a.k.a. the heavenly body is more natural than your earthly body. And it will be permanent. So let that encourage us. The second truth and the last truth is this. We need to live in light of the future. We need to live in light of the future. Uh, one of the mistakes we can make is because we have this earthly body that is falling apart and we're waiting for this heavenly body that's going to be so much better, one of the, the, the traps we can fall in is say, you know what, this natural body, this earthly body does not matter. 
No, that's wrong. What you do in your body right now matters. What you believe about the future impacts what you do in the present. If you truly believe that God is going to resurrect your dead body, He's going to give you a new heavenly body, then it is only natural to assume that what I do in this body matters. What God has given me is not meaningless, it's not a waste of time, but is valuable. Like, think about this. When God created you, he gave you a body and a command, and he said, take dominion of creation. In other words, our job is to steward creation, take care of creation. And part of the body he has given us is a gift that we need to take care of. Because, but what encourages us when we find ourselves discouraged, like life is meaningless or things are not valuable, our bodies does not matter. Now we look to the future and we say, "Uh uh-uh, no. Why? Because God is going to raise my dead body. Look, if your bodies did not matter whatsoever, why would God raise it up? Why would he not just take your body away and just give you a whole new one? In a sense, he is. There's going to be discontinuity, but also continuity. What you do with your body matters. Do not be overwhelmed by being discouraged. Do not give up on what God has called you to do Continue to be faithful because at the end he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant, and he will accept you because of what Christ has done on your behalf. And that resurrected body that is waiting for you is a guarantee, it is certain, it is a promise, and it is as good as done because God is faithful. As we wrap it up and we get to the table, um, we know that why are we going to receive our resurrected bodies? Is it because we were so good? Is it because we lived such a good life and we listened to our moms and our dads and we never made any mistakes? No. The reason why we're going to receive our resurrected bodies is because Jesus Christ was that good. He lived a life that none of us could ever live. And he took all of the punishment that we deserved when we rebelled against God and he took it in our place. That is the gift that God has given us. And the implications of that gift he's given us in Jesus is one day receiving our heavenly body.